You are tuned into Generation Wild Woman. This is your host, Bella, and I share the voices of awakening humans who serve the collective evolution of Earth. We have been silenced for too long, and these are the voices that humanity needs to hear so that together we can usher in a new vibration, a paradigm of heart-centered unity consciousness. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I'd like to let you know in advance that this is going to be a story time episode. And what I mean by that is I'm going to be handing the microphone over to today's guest and she is going to tell a story in its entirety. And she doesn't know exactly how that story is going to come out, but what we're going to do is set the intention that may she bring forth the story that's most needed for her to heal and for the collective of humanity to heal. This story is not for the light-hearted. This is not a story for a person who cannot bear witness to another person's pain and another person's trauma. This is a story for men and women who can observe the journey of another and in through listening and opening their heart to that story and that journey, two things happen. They provide an anchor for the person telling the story. As they tell the story, the story unravels And as that happens, the energy within that person unravels, releasing the intensity of any trauma that may be held. And what also happens is if a part of you resonates with that story or is triggered by that story or pain or trauma is activated in you by the person who is telling the story, then the storyteller is offering you an invitation into healing, into growth, into transformation. And today's storyteller is a beautiful, courageous, wild woman, a warrior, an earth warrior, a mother, an earth keeper. And it has been my great honour to witness her in this journey. This is a story of pain, trauma, betrayal, loss of innocence. But it's also a story of absolute transformation and grace and the power within to heal and transform and to birth a version of yourself that is so goddamn fucking bright, anyone that comes across your path will be touched by your light. This is a story of depth. So without any further introductions, I'm going to introduce you to today's storyteller. Her name is Jasmine, and what an honour. I will bear witness to her story. Just like you. Thank you for joining us today, Jasmine. Thank you, Belle. 
I brought my tears close to the surface then. I'm here today to share my story. And by no means is this easy for me. I feel very vulnerable sitting here right now and I made many excuses why I wouldn't come and show up but I'm here and in that I feel very proud of myself that I'm sitting here in this moment and I'm sharing my truth with you all. It's easy for me to witness my truth on my own and it's hard for me to share my truth in a public setting but ever since this has all unfolded for me this year the message was always loud and clear that I would tell my story and I'm telling my story because if I don't, it will stay in the dark. And for me, that's where shame grows. And I don't want to stay in shame. I want to bring my truth into the light. So here I am. Thank you for listening. It's hard to even find a beginning to this story because it feels like it could begin in so many places. But when I do think of it, I keep finding myself being cast back to earlier in the year, February 21. And I just felt really called to do a pilgrimage to my homeland. I live in Queensland and I was born in Tasmania. And I felt called to do that on my own without my husband and children. So I hired a van for 10 days and... I spent a lot of time in nature, a lot of time by myself, a lot of time with family. I have grandparents and extended family down there. So there was a lot of storytelling and listening and going to places where there were memories and nostalgia. And... I felt called as a woman to go back to that land and that it was going to be healing for me to sleep under the stars and on the earth on the land where I was born. And little did I know how big that would all be. I had also decided to do a ritual while I was down there, which was a placenta planting ritual that I had read about and been told about and it's from the book Under the Kwandong Tree and it's an Aboriginal ceremony where you can use a surrogate rock as your placenta and plant it in the earth to tell 
the mother, I am here, I have arrived. And in this book it says that the Aboriginal people believe that it's very important to do this if your placenta wasn't buried when you were born. And I always knew I would do this ceremony at one point and I knew I would do it on this trip. I didn't know how or where, but I knew it would happen. On the last day of my trip, I was pretty close to leaving and going to the airport and I just knew, okay, it's time. I've got my rock and I've got my ceremony and I just all of a sudden knew where I wanted to go and I chose a park across the road from my childhood home and when I did the ceremony, I burnt my hair into the rock and I cut my finger and put my blood on the rock and buried it in the earth and completed the ceremony and I wasn't sure. I wondered, will I feel something, anything? Will there be a big difference, a small difference? Will it change my whole life? I didn't know. And when I walked out of the bushes that I'd gone behind to do this ceremony, there was children in the park, two children around toddler age and they both pointed at me and babbled and it looked like they were saying, wow, there she is and I just felt myself, my shoulders go back and my chest lift and I felt this, hard to find the words, but almost like stepping into my queendom, like here I am, this is who I am and I felt my power and I felt those children children recognise my power and it was just this special magical moment. When I came back from my trip away, I integrated everything I had felt and learnt and it was... Some weeks later that I had a phone call that my father had, what I was told on the phone, had tried to hurt himself and they wouldn't give me any further information than that. He's tried to hurt himself and my soul had kind of been preparing for this for a long time because I was aware that my father was suicidal because he had told me that he was and he had also been diagnosed with bipolar disorder so I was aware that he had mental health issues I was aware that he had a challenge staying on this earth and I was aware that possibly one day I would get a phone call like that So I was on the Gold Coast at the time and my father had recently moved to Brisbane. He'd only been there for four days in kind of a temporary accommodation and so I packed a bag because I didn't know what was going to happen, whether I would find him a broken man in need of support, whether I would bring him home with me, whether he'd need to go into a mental health hospital or whether I would find him dead. 
So my husband and I jumped in the car and drove up together and I that was a very hard drive. I was in the void in between knowing and not knowing. But part of me was already knowing or understanding that it was a high possibility that he had taken his own life. When I arrived at the place, there was police there and I just knew and I realised I'd known the whole drive and they asked me some questions and the whole time I just felt like I wanted to definitely go and be with his body. They told me that he had hung himself using a rope and they advised me to be wary of my choice at this time because it could likely be traumatic. But my soul just said, you're going to him, you're going to be with him. I just knew. And... At the time, they had prepared his body by putting it onto a stretcher and it was outside and he was all wrapped up except his face was showing and he looked like him. And the energy that was flowing around that space was so big and the overriding feeling was peace, pulsating peace and love, the strongest I've ever felt. And everything felt really orchestrated. And I remember kicking my shoes off and just putting them in the earth and just breathing and standing there with his body. And I felt like a little girl. And I was calling him daddy and I was crying and my husband chose not to come and see the body so he was standing a few metres back. And the beauty of that moment, just feeling the peace and I was praying over him and I was asking angels to be with him so he didn't have to be alone And it felt like out of nowhere, but this song just started playing and it was a crowded house song and I hadn't even heard the radio or any songs on before that point. It was like someone had just turned it up so loud and then this massive butterfly flew down and I was on my knees at this point. It just landed right in front of my knees. It was... Like the beauty of the moment was overwhelming. The I've never experienced death before and I didn't know what it would be like and it was equal parts tragedy and beauty. The loss but also the relief of knowing that he didn't have to suffer anymore because I knew that he struggled with being a human on this earth now and 
a few weeks before that I'd actually had a dream that he was a really old man, maybe in his 80s or something, on his deathbed and he was all grey and I was holding his hand and he told me, not in words, but there was a feeling that his soul wouldn't evolve anymore this lifetime. That's the message I got. And on his deathbed, he would receive answers that he couldn't receive in his human body. He would realise actually all the things he'd done and he'd be able to see everything he couldn't see before. And he would be able to feel and experience love, which he hadn't been able to do before. So that was with me, that palpable dream. Little did I know that I would be standing by his body weeks later. I thought the dream was more a metaphor and also it gave me peace to think, well, it's okay, his soul just won't evolve anymore this lifetime. It allowed me to release any expectations that I had on him as a man or as a father. So there was a beauty in that. And then everything began to unfold, planning a funeral, organising guests and remembering to eat food and sleeping and not sleeping. It was the first time that I'd experienced grief. But I knew that I wanted to feel very supported in that grief so I decided to hire a death doula, somebody that would be able to hear me and witness me and help me to process what was happening. That wasn't a family member or friend, someone that I could feel, someone that was a third party, that I knew I wasn't burdening them, that they had chosen to do that work and I could be with that person in, in the ways that I needed. So I began to have sessions with this death doula and I was also having therapy sessions with a grief counsellor to support myself as I held myself and my family during this time. My mother, my sister my husband and my two children and our extended friends and family. And during one of these sessions with the death doula, I accessed a memory that had been repetitive in my life up to this point that I would get to at certain points, sometimes it was it would just flash in my mind, sometimes it was in my sleep and sometimes it was in a healing session or while journaling. But this memory was repetitive and I didn't fully ever grasp what it was until now. But 
even a few weeks prior, that exact same memory came up, but there was a new layer. So this was even before my father had passed away. And my sister just happened to stop by and I said to her, I have this memory and I'm about four and I'm in our hallway in our childhood home and it's dark and I feel scared and I feel not safe and there's a twisted energy there, a sexual energy and I can't see my father but I feel him there, his presence and I just broke down and she listened and held me in that and she said, I think we need to talk to mum about this and ask her some questions about this. And at the time my mum was away and so it was kind of put a pin in it and that was something to come back to. And that memory came up again in my death doula session and she created this, I want to call it like a container, like an energy of safety, like a net that I didn't know this woman at all but I felt so safe to go deeper inside myself and inside that memory And she held me there energetically, emotionally, while I uncovered another layer of that memory. And it was a knowing that I had been sexually abused and it was by my father. When that happened, it felt like everything inside me exploded and I felt so many things and I cried a lot and I started to see, I'm quite a visual person and I started to see pieces of puzzles coming down out of the ethers and they started to slot in together and one after the other I had realisations of all of the times that I had felt that feeling, that unsafe, that sexual twisted feeling and the energy that was between my father and I. And I realised that I had known it for a long time, but I hadn't looked at it. Over the next sessions, I started to unpack more and during this time I was sharing with my husband, my mother and my sister. And I realised how many times over the years I had nearly got to this place of recognition. And while I was doing this work, I got a message that said, look back over your journals, look back over all your old writings. And so I pulled out my journals and specifically this one book 
that I had written in over the course of a year when I went through the School of Shamanic Womancraft. It was called The Four Seasons Journey and it was a year-long journey that I did with a large group of other women. And during that year we did a lot of processing and repetitive question asking and there was a lot in that journal. When I looked with my new eyes, my open eyes that I had written and I'd written a fairy tale where I was the main character and the king who represented my father would come up every day and I had this long golden hair and he would just cut a little bit every day of my long golden hair until there was nothing left. And all of these things that I had realised were helping me put these pieces of the puzzle together. It was very shocking and confusing and I had to unpack it all and understand how I could tuck these memories and thoughts away and I'm still unpacking that I'm still understanding that but at that same time I had several women that I felt called to contact or who contacted me who had a mirror story to mine in the way that they had had childhood abuse and that it had not surfaced until they were women, till 20s, 30s, one person it was even 50s. And the memories were all triggered in different ways and that helped me to not feel alone. And I was questioning, am I crazy? How could I do that? How could I take this whole thing and put it into a place that I couldn't see. But once I had opened that locked door, more things started to come. And I remembered a few years earlier I'd written a letter to my father and I wasn't ever going to give it to him. It was just saying all the things I wanted to say to him that I knew wouldn't be heard. And my letter said, why... Do you act sexual towards me? Why do you say inappropriate things? Why do you touch my body in that way? I don't like it and I don't want you to do it. And I read that letter out to my husband and he was very shocked and didn't really understand what it meant either. Now we know we were all under the spell of thinking this man was someone that he wasn't. I burnt that letter. And I had also shared with my mum and sister over the years that there were some things my father said to me as a woman that I didn't like. And it was just sexual suggestions or touching my ass or especially when he was having drinks and we were at a party or something, I often felt like I was a girlfriend on display, which is a very odd 
thing to feel. And I had known it at the time, but also I just didn't want to look at it. I would say to myself, I remember all the times I'd say in my head, what's wrong with you? Why are you thinking these thoughts? Making myself bad and wrong and saying to myself, you're crazy. He's your father. He's a good man. There's something wrong with you if you're thinking sexually like that. And I carried that. I carried that shame that I didn't even know I was carrying. And one of the main things that happened, it was a few months prior to his death and I was getting my floors redone in my home and my husband and children were away and I stayed back to look after our business and our home. And my parents had separated by this point. They'd been together for about 40 years and had recently separated. And my father was staying in the apartment that they had purchased together. My mother had moved out. And it made sense. My floors are getting done. I need somewhere to stay. My dad has a spare room. I'll do that. And I called him up to ask and he said, yeah, that will be fine. No worries. And then he started saying things over the course of a few phone calls leading up to me staying there. And one phone call in particular, he said, when you come and stay at the apartments, just go and lay around the pool in your bikinis and, you know, just let it be known what unit you're staying in, but don't let it be known who you are. Let people think what they want to think. And I remember just going along with it and laughing, but then on the inside screaming, no, no. I don't want to do that and you shouldn't be saying that to me. You're my father. And then when I hung up the phone, I just went into a shame spiral. Again, it's my fault. I'm the one thinking sexual things. He would never be thinking in that way. There's something wrong with me. And I'd already packed my bag and everything and... I just couldn't go. I completely broke down. And I called my husband and he said, you're not going there. You're not staying there. Pretty much saying to me, you need to listen to yourself. Listen to your inner knowing. Don't go. So I didn't. I just stayed in my property while it was being renovated because... I was scared and my voice in my head said to me, if you stay there, he'll come into your room at night. And I didn't know what that meant and I actually never said that to anybody. I didn't even say that to my husband because I thought it was so sick and wrong. After I'd had these memories... I told my partner and he was my dad's best friend. So it was really big 
for him as it was for me. But he held me so tightly and so well. He let me share. He let me break down. I felt so safe with him. All the years we'd been together, building a relationship of safety and sexual safety, feeling seen and heard and loved. That's what was holding me. And then I realised, wow, I have actually been doing this healing work before I even knew what I needed to be doing, before I even knew where this had come from. I remember when my children were little, maybe 10 years ago, I was standing in front of the mirror after a shower. I had no clothes on and I remember hearing my voice say, you're disgusting. Look at you, you're ugly. And it was like someone had just turned the volume up really loud and I realised, I was shocked and I realised I've actually been talking to myself like that my whole life, but it was whispering and I heard it loud that time. And I had two girls, so I realised I don't want to think like that anymore. That's an old program and I want to move through that. So all of these things over the years I had realised and felt and begun to heal had got me to this point where I was strong enough and ready to have these memories. And during the time when I was having these sessions and all of these realisations, everything just felt so shamanic. Everything was so lined up. Things would just drop in perfectly. I wasn't humaning much at all. My human body was lying in a bed, resting a lot, and my partner did the practical things that needed doing, washing, making lunches, sending children off to school. And I was in bed and walking in nature a lot and talking and sharing because that is a big healing component for me is sharing and being heard. And I decided that I wanted to create this team around me the warriors of the light, I called them, for I was one of them too. And I wanted to feel so safe and flanked on every side of me so that if I fell one way, there would be someone there to catch me. And that team consisted of my partner and my mother and my sister, and but also the just by divine timing, Perfect people just stepped in and stepped up. Some stepped away that I thought I would be able to share and be held with. But it was all okay. I just kept getting really strong messages. My intuition was loud. It was big. And it was saying, if you choose to do this work, 
You may lose relationships. You may lose friendships, even family members. Do you wish to still go ahead? And I said, yes. And part of that for me, bringing the shame into the light, was telling my story, telling my truth. And the next person I needed to share that with with was my mother. And I was so scared. And I went to her home and told her the certain memories that I'd had and the feelings I'd had and the pieces of the puzzle that I was putting together. And the memory started from the age of four. And it took me a while to get to the age where it stopped, but the last memory I got was around 15. So there was a lot for me to unpack with being a child, an innocent child, and also being a teenager, a an almost woman. It just felt like there were two ends of the spectrum and I had a lot to feel and unpack around that. And to say that out loud to my mother, I felt so much shame, so much guilt, so much disgust. And when I told her, she was very shocked and devastated. But she listened and she held me and I didn't feel alone. I felt safe. I felt heard. But the next thing that happened was when I was telling her some of my memories that I had and the things that had happened to me, she said... He did those things to me too. And that was really hard to hear. And it was also a confirmation that all those feelings and visions that I was getting were matching up to hers. And I think I needed that at the time. So I knew that my father didn't treat my mother well. In some ways, yes, they held hands and went to breakfast together and things like that that couples do. But my mother always confided in me that there were things that were happening in that relationship, things that he was putting on to her or doing to her that weren't 
Right. And it was during, it was when, in 2020, when COVID all began and there was a lot of, of billboards and things around saying domestic violence, is this happening to you? Here's a number. And there was a lot of news reports and things talking about domestic violence being on the rise due to people in lockdown and being restricted because of what was happening in the world. And I had compassion for those people that that was happening to. And then I all of a sudden realised I saw on a bus stop billboard the domestic violent hotline and I just had this moment where I went, that's my mum. She's in a relationship like that. She had slowly been disclosing little bits and little bits to me and I saw it and I heard it and I told her it wasn't right and I told her to leave a few times but it wasn't enough for me to be tipped over to the point of thinking it was domestic violence because I couldn't see it. I couldn't really see it for what it was and I wasn't being given the full picture as well but I was too close to it and over the course of a few years I had been volunteering on and off at a women's shelter for domestic violence and amazingly working with those women listening to their stories, holding them through all of that. I'm a birth doula as well, so I attended some of the births of the women at the shelter who had no partners and needed that support and I was happy to give that. And during that time I never thought, this is my family, this is my father, this is my mother, until I saw that billboard and it felt just like this cosmic slap in the face and I remember calling my mum and saying I think this is what's happening could you call this hotline tomorrow if you feel okay to do so and just give them a list or a little breakdown of your relationship and what's happening I might be way off I might be over dramatizing this maybe just check in and I had already called the hotline myself and said to them, these are the things that are happening. And the person on the line was so supportive and she said, what you have outlined to me is that all pillars in the relationship of domestic violence are being met. So there was physical, sexual, financial, emotional, mental. I think that was all of them. And she re-explained it back to me, repeating what I'd said to her. And yes, I was right. I called because I wasn't sure if I was over-traumatising it. And she said, I'm going to send you some information and you can read through that. And I did and I sent that to my mother and she called the hotline the next day and they confirmed to her what 
I had said and what the articles had said and what I feel that my mother believed for a long time, the truth that she was in an abusive relationship. And I had already made a decision not to ever tell her again to leave because every time I told her to leave and she wouldn't, I'd feel very frustrated and heartbroken and confused. So I thought, no, I'm just going to listen to her from now on. I'm not going to tell her what to do. But in this situation, it was so strong and loud. I called her and I said, I promised I would never tell you this again, but I need to tell you, you need to leave and I will support you. I'll find you somewhere to live. We'll do it together. You're not alone. And she left. But little did I know how deep the sexual abuse went for her and on this day that I shared my story with her and she shared hers with me I realized that well my mother told me that they had actually never made love he had never touched her hair or stroked her face or looked her in the eye or told her she was beautiful There was no softness. And I asked her a lot of questions and she answered all of them very honestly. And it was hard to hear. And one of my questions was, how could I never see that as a child? I never saw any of that or heard anything or thought it was possible that this was happening to my mother. Maybe I had and I tucked it away with all of my memories as well. Now that My father has gone. I realised that I never would have remembered anything that happened to me if he was here. And our souls were in this contract. And he left so that I could remember and I could heal. And even after he left, I could still feel his soul helping me along, which was a very strange feeling because I was dealing with memories of sexual abuse at the hand of my father, as well as feeling like his soul was helping me through. And then I just got to a point where I said, I don't want your soul to help me anymore. I can do this on my own now. And we are now in September of the same year. So really, not a huge amount of time has passed. And my soul wanted to go deep and quick and go to the underworld 
and I had to completely fall apart, completely die to who I thought I was. And that was scary and hard, but at the same time, I kept getting the message that I'm okay and that I'm supported and I'll be reborn. And all of this happened. He passed away in March, which is the beginning of autumn where we live. And then I started feeling like I was coming out of the underworld just as spring was being welcomed and I realised looking back that the earth seasons of autumn and winter were the autumn and winter of my soul, of, of my experience. I had let go, I had composted, I had gone into the dark using the seasons as a metaphor. I was like the seed of winter being underneath a layer of snow and then the snow defrosted and I could feel myself a little seed with a sprout that was just beginning to reach towards the light. The metaphor of spring. And... It was just another layer and another reminder that I am an alchemist and I am magic and I am a woman who can use the seasons and the cycles. I can use the moon and the stars and nature is my healer. I can use the seasons. I can use my menstrual cycle to let go, to give my blood back to the earth. And these were all lessons I had learnt over years and years and so I had all these amazing tools to bring to the foreground and use to assist me in this process. And it's an ongoing one and it's continually unfolding. And I continue to be supported by the ones I choose to have around me. Some people I choose not to have around me anymore as I move forward. And I've chosen certain people to guide me through. I'm doing my own work. I do somatic movement, just allowing my body to move the way it needs to move. I go to nature a lot. There's a nature reserve near my home and I often go there and just process whatever needs to come up that day and that time. Sometimes it's sprinting around barefoot. Sometimes it's putting mud on myself. Sometimes it's screaming. 
I even took an axe up there once and chopped the shit out of a big piece of wood till I had blisters on my hands and I was sweating. It felt so good. Some days I cry and other days I lay on this big fallen down tree and just let the sun kiss my body. And all while this is happening, I see and feel the beauty of the world, even when it hurts and even when it's hard. I just keep listening and tuning in. And I journal and I use music and I sing and I swim and I drink water and some days I do none of these things and I just hide under my doona. I just allow whatever is needed for that day. And I am currently in therapy specifically for sexual abuse. And I am doing this work as a whole being, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, energetically moving things that need to move. So I have the people around me that I need to help me through this when I feel like I need help, like I need a hand, like I need a third party to guide me in because it's big work. And... I see my future and I feel freedom and beauty in that space, a freedom that I never could have felt if it weren't for seeing what I've seen and remembering these things. I am going into the roots of my childhood traumas so that I can fully be free. And I'm a warrior of the light and I know that what I'm doing right now will be the gifts that I give back to my family and to my community. I am going to give back all of this heavy, dark energy that has come down the line on both my father line and my mother line I have now discovered since I've shared my story people have told me theirs too and I'm going to give it back and I'm going to send golden light all the way down through both of my lines and I'm going to anchor it into me and then I'm going to send that forward to my children and my children's children all the way down, healing backwards and forwards. And I know this is coming and I know I am doing this. And when the time is right, I will do what I need to do. I'll go gently and softly 
and use my strength. And for me, that's what a warrior of the light means. Someone who is strong and someone who is soft. And that is me. Oh my goodness. What a story. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Jasmine. The earth needs our stories. Other women need our stories. The stories and the experiences that you've been through help heal other people who aren't as far along on their journey as you. May we all have the courage to tell our story so that we can all heal our ancestral lines backwards and forwards for the well-being of all.